Time to travel with Karen Key. And a very good evening to you and welcome to this week's edition of Time to Travel. On the show this evening, I'll be chatting with travel journalist Graham Howe about his recent trip to Australia for the annual Australian Tourism Exchange. And this year he visited Queensland and the Northern Territories. Sarah Duff, another travel journalist, took herself off on a contiki tour of Costa Rica and by all accounts had an absolutely fabulous time. Hein Trutter is Managing Director of Live the Journey Namibia and they're offering an amazing trip to Jordan. He lived there for a while so he's got a real insider's knowledge of the place. And he'll be on the line just a little bit later to tell us all about that. Well, that's the lineup for this evening. I do hope you'll stay with me and enjoy the show here on SAFM. Time to travel with Karen Key. Well, I'm joined in studio again this evening by Graham Howe, freelance travel writer. And um, the last time we spoke to him, he'd just been off to Chicago for the powwow, the big tourism powwow. Gosh, well, he certainly does get around. He's just come back from Australia to the Australian Tourism Exchange in what I used to pronounce as Cairns, but I believe you pronounce it Cairns. Graham, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Corinne. It's good to be back on the show. a busy year this year. I am, and getting from um, Chicago to uh, Cairns is, uh, in Queensland is quite a mission, not only because of the uh, time difference. One minute I was eight hours behind South African time in Chicago, and the next minute <laughs> I was eight hours ahead over in Australia. So at times I didn't know whether I was Arthur or Martha. It was different this year. You've, you've been to the Australian Tourism Exchange quite a few times in the past, but it's always been in quite a big city now. It's, it was different this year. Yes, it is. It's normally held for the last 35 years, in fact. Um, not that I've been attending it all that time, of mm-hmm. course. But uh, it's been held in a state capital like Adelaide or Melbourne, Sydney, Perth. And uh, this year it was in held in Cairns, which is a, a sort of regional gateway. And, and one of the best parts of being there was that you were really in a uh, what is a sort of major gateway to uh, one of the big playgrounds of Australia, the, the, the big coastal strip that runs all through Queensland, known as the Great Barrier Reef. So it was really nice to actually go from um, the sort of cold and windy Chicago to tropical balmy uh, Queensland, and the temperatures were just gorgeous while we were there. Of course, uh, Cairns is located where the wet, wet tropics meet the uh, Great Barrier Reef, so it's quite unique in that you've got two UNESCO World Heritage Sites, the reef and rainforest, meeting each other in what is known as TNQ, Tropical North Queensland. Uh, but it is interesting that they call it Cairns. Yeah, why do um, they pronounce um, it like that? And, uh, you know, I thought I might have been headed off to, to the Mediterranean France, yeah. at one point. Um, <laughs> maybe in Cairns, in, in France, they call it Cairns. I don't maybe. know. But there, it's a definitely an Australian pronunciation. Um, and I joined over uh, 70 media and 600 delegates, uh, travel trade, uh, by and operators from around the world who met up with 1,200 tourism operators right across the field from adventure tourism to sports tourism to cultural and arts tourism, wildlife tourism, you name it, you know, sort of great walks of Australia and also all the different state tourist authorities and regional tourist organisations, wine routes, basically 1,200 different tourism activities around the whole of Australia who presented at stalls and met with buyers, the Convention Centre. So it was. Uh, it was very. Uh, it was very different. We really felt we were in the heart of a tourist area. You know, the uh, the the Kuku uh, Yelenji, the local Aboriginal tribe who who've lived in the area for sixty thousand years, would welcome us with didgeridoos and dance and body painting when we got to the convention centre every morning. Um, so it had a very sort of exotic feel this year. And just even uh, the, we we had a sort of sail past by all the catamarans and luxury yachts that take people 
people out to the Great Barrier Reef at one of the gala dinners, and, and which was right on the waterfront in the in the cruise terminal where all the international cruise ships call at Cairns. It was it was really good to be on the sort of doorstep. Uh, uh, having talked tourism all day, we would then experience some of those activities by night and over the weekend. Now, the other times that you've been to the Australian Tourism Exchange, there's always been a theme about you know what they promote, possibly their new promotion for of the coming year. What exactly did they promote, or what was the theme for this year? Well, the 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 overriding tourism campaign for the last five years or so in Australia, which they've spent millions on and established the the in fact the world's biggest destination a Facebook site called um, There's Nothing Like Australia. And under that banner, there's been a strong drive towards food and wine tourism over the last two years. Um, this year, they launched a new advertising campaign, a 100 million rand campaign called Restaurant Australia, which aims to put Australia on the map as a gastronomic destination. Um, they did this really fascinating survey that showed that for many tourists around the world, and this was done in 15 key markets from the UK to Japan, that food and wine is a major reason uh, for traveling. In other words, the, the sort of culinary experience. Some 28% of people rated Australia um, as significant food and wine destination who had never been there before. But of people who had visited before, it suddenly leapt to 60% rated it only after France as the, as the world's second most important food and wine destination. So I think the whole point of the campaign is to close that perceptual gap so that both people who visited and people who haven't visited um, rate it very highly. And they have in, they've been become involved with about 700 um, food and wine restaurants, chefs, growers, artisanal suppliers, um, the whole, whole sort of range of food providers to promote on a new Restaurant Australia website to promote Australian food and wine. And it's very much more than a fine dining experience. It's all about enjoying food and, and wine in incredible landscapes. So, you know, uh, having a, a, a million a star dinner under the stars in the outback or looking at what they call catch and cook in Tasmania, where you actually catch a range of seafood. It's called the seafood seduction experience. And then you cook all of this seafood, the abalone, the prawns, uh, lobsters, uh, fish, etc. I, th I think it's going to be fantastic. And, and to match that focus, there was a strong food and wine theme at the uh, ATE 14, the Australian Tourism Exchange 2014. Um, so at the launch of the campaign, Chef Jeff, Jeff Squire of Orca, a very well-known restaurant in Cairns, served tropical tasting platters where we had things like barramundi, a local signature fish, steamed in banana leaf, uh, seared scallops and tropical lobsters. Which are called gulf bugs. Yes, you would have yeah, loved them. They actually, they don't look very attractive, but they have the most gorgeous Are they very different to what we know as, they, they, as... It looks like a bug. It's also called a flathead lobster. Uh, and some people call them Balmain bugs. Um, they have How different big names are they in compared Australia. to our crayfish? For no, example. no, they're a small sort of, oh. uh, almost like, almost more like a river, or maron or I've or, had maron. It's actually very nice. Yeah, so they're delicious to eat. But in fact, you, you wouldn't think of eating them if you saw them <laughs> in a stream. But it's one of the a signature local shellfish and also spanner crab and especially for you the champions of indigenous tourism uh, a very well-known aboriginal chef called mark the black olive um he cooked what? for us crocodile wontons smoked emu and bush tucker things like a uh, croc kebabs and, and bush damper which is bread you know all traditionally um, cooked on a fire Look, um, just one thing whenever you go to australia you always come back with all these weird new words why, they always have, they find the most bizarre words. I mean, why would they call bread damper? I mean, it's bread. 
I don't know, um, because it's it's like an oentbrot in South Africa. You know, something you'd cook. Well, that's, that on the sounds like it's oven fire, bread. Like it sounds like bread. what, but a damper. Um, it sounds like something on a on a piano key pedal or or a drum kit or something where you're dampening the sound. It you does damper. a bit, I suppose. Now this is bread. So it is. It's just bread, and 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 it'll be served with a whole range of sort of chutneys made from wild herbs and tomatoes, um, like a bush tomato chutney or a lemon myrtle butter. So um, it really is amazing how the, the sort of foraging has become quite a trend worldwide yeah, in, in fine cuisine. Mm. But in fact, the uh, Aboriginals have been cooking that way for years and, and gathering all these seeds probably smiling and smiling thinking, gosh, you're only just and, discovering this now. We've been doing this for e- centuries. Exactly. So you know. the goal of both campaigns, though, Restaurant Australia and the Ultimate Winery Experiences, which was another strong theme at the launch, is to link food and wine to a unique sense of place that you could only be enjoying this in the landscape of, 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 of Australia. So it's not. It's about more than what's in the glass or on the plate. It's about the whole experience. You actually and I find think in that, that way it's a very smart campaign. You actually find that coming more and more to the fore here in South Africa as well. Yes, that you food do. and wine is starting to become quite a tourism attraction. Yeah, where does it come from? Mm. What is its origin? Absolutely. Who grows it? You know, it's all local thing. You know, and yes. you know, within exactly so many miles so. or kilometres of the, exactly. the restaurant. And, and so that's a big focus of this mm. this campaign. And but now all this food and wine and fabulous stuff you were doing, did you actually get out there to see any parts of this tropical north of Queensland? <laughs> well, I, well, I had to work it off, you know. So we had the day off on Sunday from the conference and I and sailed out to the Great Barrier Reef, which, you know, is listed as one of the seven wonders of the world, along with Mount Everest and the uh, Grand Canyon. And I had no idea that it's actually made up of almost 3,000 individual reefs and 900 islands and stretches for 2,300 kilometers along the Queensland coast. Apparently, Texas would fit several times into Queensland. Oh, don't tell the Britain, Texans that. Britain would fit into it seven times. The Texans so always say everything state. is bigger in Texas. Now Absolutely. you're telling me that Queensland is bigger than Texas. <laughs> well, you can see it from oh, outer dear. space, apparently, the Great Barrier Reef. And the, and the reef runs the length of Queensland. So about 30 of us went out in a, in a luxury catamaran called the Ocean Spirit, operated by Quicksilver from Cairns. And it takes um, about two hours to get to the outer reef. And so it's quite amazing. We went out to a, a, a little island called Michaelmas Cay, which at low tide sort of has an entire beach. So you feel like you're sitting in the middle of the ocean. Of course, we were sharing it with 20,000 migratory seabirds. So well, that must have been it, fun. Exactly. So from a from an aroma point of view mm. and uh, lying on the beach there, you, you'd hear a regular splat, splat, splat. <laughs> and in fact, on the way over, I was sitting in the in – the, they have a motorboat that takes you from the main catamaran to the snorkeling site. And, of course, you're all dolled up in what they call stinger suits. Yeah, I was going to ask you, but I heard about those. <laughs> it's this very close, far too close-fitting. Um, in fact, I had to get into, I think, a triple XL. They were, they were thinking of sewing two together for me by the time we got out to the reef to protect you from these uh, box jellyfish, and some of which apparently are so small, about the size of your thumb, that it makes swimming a hazard. And, in fact, they're legendary stories, of course, we were told on the way out about someone who had one trapped inside his wetsuit. And, in fact, it can stop your heart within about an hour if you suffer from any heart condition. The stings are extremely painful. So you put on this complete bodysuit to go snorkeling on the Great Barrier Reef. What about your face? And they have a stinger season that runs from... I think, say, January to May. We were right at the end of it, in fact. So a few little ones had been spotted. But, I mean, you know, try. You need to – you can't swim around with a magnifying glass. So, anyway, you put on this wetsuit or you can stay dry. In fact, I also did a guided tour in a semi-submersible, which is 
like a submarine you know, I think I'd with rather a glass, pick that. glass bottom and glass sides. And, and we had fantastic views of, of the You see, and it's much coral. safer. I mean, it's a whole tropical Nemo world down there of zebrafish and spaghetti coral and giant clams and starfish. Really is a magical world on the Great Barrier Reef. But funnily enough, on the way out there, I was sitting in this this boat, and there were two typical sort of golden tanned uh, Aussie girls who were also on the way out to the reef. And one of them looked to me and said, "What kind of birds are those?" So I, I looked I, I looked out and said, "Oh, they're called brown boobies." So I, she she looked at me. She said, "No, I meant the birds." I said, "I'm talking about the birds. That's what that's what everyone calls them. They're called brown boobies. I think they're gannets or uh, terns, mm. but that's the common name for them." Anyway, she looked at me and sort of moved to the other side of the beach. <laughs> On the, on, on the island. <laughs> Apparently, in Queensland, I was told, if you go, because the Great Barrier Reef runs for so long, down at the southern end, which is near Fraser Island, they have a place called the Mon Repo Conservation Park, and you can do a guided ranger tour of the Great Turtle Hatch. Now, apparently, this year was a great year for hatching turtles. These are green and loggerhead. They have several kinds of turtles. And it's on the beach on the southern Great Barrier Reef near Fra Fraser Island, or you can fly to Lady Elliot Island, which is nearby. And the most amazing thing is apparently the gender of the turtles is determined on the way from their nest down the beach by the temperature of the sand. And the colder it is, the much greater proportion of male turtles you get. And the hotter the sand is, so if it's a hot night rather than a cold night, most of them will be female. So I suppose that's when you get hot turtle chicks. <laughs> <laughs> But, I mean, it's an amazing thing. And and if I was there, I would visit Maryborough, which is no slightly north of Brisbane and, and near this Turtle Hatch area. Um, and it's the birthplace of P.L. Travis. I don't know whether you saw the recent oh, film yes. Saving Mr. Banks. And the whole town is built around Mary Poppins attractions these days. It features in, in the film. Even the scene in Mary Poppins where the penguins are in a park came from a local park where they had penguins uh, in the zoo in Maryborough from her childhood memories. And they have a guide who dresses up as Mary Poppins. And, and just talks Mary Poppins. And they have, of course, a pop-in cafe. Oh, well. <laughs> and okay. they have an annual Mary Poppins festival. So you're given brollies, and the whole thing is apparently a great fun, and they have this the sort of year-round. Well, everyone thinks it's set in the UK, in London, not not in <laughs> it is, not, it is not in Australia. They should see Saving Mr. Banks, the mm. film. Uh, then they would get the idea. Emma Thompson is mm. fantastic in it. And you mentioned sitting on a beach in the middle of the, of the sea, surrounded by seagull. Um, guana, if you like. But did you actually go to any actual beaches? Because you're right there. I did. Well, I mean, the beaches are just gorgeous. They're these long tropical coves. Before ATE, I was attending an international media marketplace, which is a prelude to, to the tourism conference, up the coast from Cairns in a place called Palm Cove. And the resort I was staying at, the Pullman Palm Cove Spa Temple, was set right on a long, dreamy beach encircled by palm trees. The trouble is, like a lot of Queensland beaches, you can't swim off. And it takes a few days to find that out. So I'd go for these long walks in the morning or in the evening. And the first morning I woke up and I had bad jet lag. I was up at about five, which is unusual for me. I took a long walk and all the locals were walking their dogs. While walking down the beach, I came to a creek, like just a small little river running. And I was about to cross it when I saw this big sign that said, Warning, Achtung, a crocodile has been spotted recently in this creek. Well, one of the locals walking his dog told me why. He said, he said, yes, just last week, a croc took a dog off the beach. 
So I said, well, you know, I've been walking along, paddling in the in the uh, in the shallow water here. Um, and, and he said, well, that's brave of you, mate. He said, you've got to be careful. He said, you know, these salties, they call them, the giant saltwater crocodiles or estuarine crocodiles. He says, they watch you all the time, mate. They've got <laughs> eyes on you. He said, you've got no idea. And he said, if you take the same route for three days, they'll wait for the third day and they'll nail you, mate. So I said, you've got oh, to be kidding. Goodness. He said, absolutely. He said, never take the same route every day. And he said, if you're going to swim, he said, swim in the netted area. Now, there's this small net area uh, sitting on floats. So I said, oh, he said, the only trouble is that often the crocs sunbathe on these big <laughs> plastic floats that surround the nets, hang off these plastic floats. And he says, sometimes they fall in and it's more dangerous in the netted area than outside. So I headed back to the hotel swimming pool. They had this giant it's swimming pool. I joined everyone else much for a, a, a swim. So did you actually at any point get to swim in the sea? Well, at another spot further. Oh, um, so you were still uh, chancing your luck here. At okay. Kawara Beach Resort. I was just determined to get a swim in, and it sat right on the beach at, at Kawara. And, and I was in this um, luxury cabin, and it was really idyllic, in the middle of a rainforest. I had wallabies, cockadoos, and kookaburras literally all around, my, all around my room and all around my head. And when I got onto the beach, I thought, finally, this looks fantastic for a swim. And I saw some people kayaking and... I suddenly spotted this big red flag uh, parked again. in the middle of the beach. And I walked over and it said this beach has been closed for the day because of the presence of stingers. Now, apparently, if they spot one, the, there's a... Oh, there's these a, little ones you mentioned yes, earlier. The, the lifeguard takes a big, like, swimming pool net, walks out into the shallows, drags it along, and if he ends up with a single stinger in the net, these ones that are so small to see, he closes the beach for the day. And apparently, he, according to a local, he'd done this at nine at the morning and then gone off. He said probably, he probably just took the day off, mate, he said to me, you know, and declared the beach closed. So I asked a local, I said, look, you know, there are people kayaking out. I really feel like a swim. And he said, look, if you feel like a bit of a swim, mate, help yourself. He said, don't let the crocs stingers spoil your fun. He said, they might have a bit of a chew, but they probably won't bother you much. <laughs> so I took a midnight swim in, in a natural landscape pool instead. Uh, no, no, I, I, I think after hearing all that, I'll just stay clean out of the sea over there. Thank you very much. But now, what about the rainforest? We've spoken about all sorts of other things. Barrier Reef, you said it was where the two... Where Converge, the, the UNESCO the, World Heritage Site pretty much the reef, met yes. each other. So what about the rainforest? Did you have any time to go we, there? We did, in fact. And on another outing, after the ATE itself, we spent a, a day trip exploring the a rainforest uh, on foot and by air. And at Mossman Gorge, which is a, a new indigenous ecotourism gateway to the 1,200-square-kilometer Daintree Rainforest, which is a famous landmark in the rainforest, we went for a guided walk with Tom, one of the Aboriginal rangers, and it was really fascinating because before setting out, first of all, we had to walk in a circle around throwing uh, what they call paper bark, bark off a paper bark tree onto a fire and shouting out um, to warn the ancestral spirits of the forest um, that we were coming in peace. And along the walk through this dense rainforest, Tom identified different species of trees and seeds which are used for food or to make poison for hunting and have been used for 50,000 years by the local Kukuyalanji, the traditional owners. 
And he really brought the whole habitat of the rainforest alive with a narrative about his ancestors and, and the role even of the praying mantis, which is one of the dreamtime spirits called the uh, Malengi. Uh, and our trail ended at an ancient waterfall where he showed us how to make bush soap from sassafras leaves. Now, sassafras is a key ingredient in root beer. So if you've ever smelt that very distinct mm. minty root beer aroma in America, for example, but in fact, it also makes it, you, you can lather up a soap like you can't believe and then he painted his body with natural ochres and and charcoal and and on the way back we we stopped for bush tea and damper of course uh in a which humpy. is bread in case you didn't remember oh, in, a, in, a in a wash hangover in a way and we sat in a humpy and what a, no hang on what a is a humpy is a home like a traditional made of sort of bark and thatched a bit like a rondavel say well, they, would call, it, to say a they would call it a humpy we asked the the local guy tom and i said oh where's this tea from he said oh it's from the daintree because they've got big tea plantations in Queensland. I said, oh, and I said, and, and where's the jam from? And he said, oh, that's from Woolworths. It's <laughs> <laughs> quite funny. <laughs> but you mentioned you could see it by air as well. The yes, first. in fact, and, and I've always wanted to do this, and I hadn't been up in Karanda. It's a tropical village high up on the Atherton Tablelands above Cairns. And I'd be, last been there in, I think, 1994. And since then, they've built one of the three largest or longest sky rail cableways in the world, which runs um, from Karanda for seven and a half kilometers. This is a long cable car, high over with 34 towers and with offering offering you aerial views. And and there are stations along the way. You really feel like you're gliding high over the canopy and there are glass floors uh, in some of the cable cars. And they're only for for four to six people, the cable cars. So it's a great way to see this World Heritage Site called the Wet Tropics, which is altogether a 9,000 square kilometer area, which stretches from Townsville all the way up to Cooktown, past Cairns. But you really need a head for heights, uh, Corin. Gee, mm. I mean, this really swoops high well, over you the You don't ra- do well with then, heights, And then you? suddenly goes down low when you've got a glass floor at your feet. Oh, no. This one reminds me of that place you went to in, was it in Chicago? Oh, uh, yes, the up 94 stories yes. where they have a, it's a thing that tips yeah, no, mm. so that you can see out, out no, the way. But uh. this, in fact, we stopped um, at uh, the Barren Waterfalls and, and at the Gorge Station. So there, there are two or three stations along the way where you actually get out of the cable cars before. And, and then we went for a walk and the ranger identified some of the 3,000 cycads, trees, ferns and mosses. And we saw the most enormous spiders in the uh, rainforest, Ooh. about the size of this microphone. Oh, in my fact. goodness. Okay, that's big. About the size of two hands. And I was really hoping to see one of the rare cassowaries, which is a huge flightless bird, mm. a bit like an ostrich, but with which has these prehensile claws that will disembowel you if it's in an aggressive mood. Oh. Um, in fact, I once had to take cassowary self-defense lessons what? before <laughs> doing a five-day walk on the cassowary coast. And because cassowaries often will trap tourists on the trail behind a tree, and they've got a way of peering oh, out behind you, because <laughs> the only thing to do is hide behind yeah. a tree so they can't attack you with their claws. And I think often they probably read the posters and think, let's scare the tourists. Yeah, you probably. Know, Here's a group of hikers. Yeah. Um, so the only way to defend yourself is to make yourself look bigger than them by holding both hands high up over your head so that you look like a mega cassowary, like the, okay, we'll the father remember of all that. cassowaries. We'll, remember that well, I did that, and of course, immediately got challenged by every male cassowary in the area. Oh, no. This was 20 years ago. Um, and anyway, it's, a, it's, it's another story about how I got off that mountain. 
Now, you mentioned when you were in the forest walking through there that your guide started painting himself with ochre and all sorts yes. of things. But they painted you like a warrior at one point as well. Yes, they did, in fact. Um, I went to the Jabakai uh, dance, uh, which is the local you know, Yelenji people. It's an Aboriginal cultural centre, and they're a leader in cultural tourism in Australia. And they, according to the Guinness Book of Records, perform the longest-running show in Australia. And through dance, music, and stories, um, they tell the history of the uh, Yelenji clan. And... Uh, uh, what was really amazing is one of the face painters who was from the Torres Straits, which is above uh, above Cannes, sort of on the way to Papua New Guinea, her name was Gura Naidu, which meant um, green parrot. And she had this beautiful parrot painted on her cheeks. So she looked at me and she'd, she'd done different symbols and different paint on, on people's faces who, who were there for the evening dance. So she looked at me and she said, gosh, she said, you're an old warrior. I could see you fought many battles. So I said, how did you know? <laughs> and she proceeded to paint. I didn't know it at the time. This very fierce running from my forehead down my nose. And I really looked like an ancient sort of picked in one of those those sort of Scottish Highlander movies. Oh, my goodness. I so I said, oh, well, thanks very much. And I went off. And the bar was really crowded. And suddenly it just opened up for me. <laughs> I didn't know. <laughs> so I, I got up to the bar and I thought, it's, you know, it's just, I'm feeling like Moses opening the Red Sea here. And I, and I said, oh, I'll, you know, have a glass of red wine or a, one of the local uh, beers, I think. And he looked at me and he said, you know, you're terrifying everyone, mate. <laughs> he said, you look really scary. So I said, no. And then I looked and there was a mirror behind the bar. And I said, oh. Oh, I see what you mean. Anyway, it was to good effect. I didn't have, have any trouble finding a chair. Well, I think you should have um, taken a picture of it so you can uh, replicate it if you need to get it somewhere. It was great because yeah. we danced around the fire, and I think they they all assumed I was a local with this <laughs> uh, with this paint on, and were shaking fire sticks. And they set up this huge fireball. They have a way of starting a, a fire, you know, literally by kind of rubbing stones like flint together. There was myself and a woman called Cookie, who's known as the Black Cockatoo because she just looks like one of the cock cockatoo birds. And we danced under a full moon around this fire um, singing uh, one of the local songs we had we had learned and led by an old warrior called Graham Howe. Well, now, if that wasn't strange enough, there, there are some really strange things that you can do in Queensland. You can. No, look, it's, it's the, you know, the Queensland outback, which we haven't spoken about, has some amazing attractions. One of, one of them is, in true Australian shorthand, you can dig a dino, which is <laughs> a dinosaur, and you can join at Winton in the Queensland outback. You can join an ongoing excavation of this massive dinosaur they're trying to get to, trying to excavate or you can join the world's biggest pub crawl in fancy dress and think Rocky Horror Show here in, okay. in Maryborough well, where you Mary said Poppins you wanted to go there now, now, it's, now it's all becoming quite clear why you want to go there okay. or you can go to the Melon Festival in Windora where they go skiing behind motorbikes wearing shoes carved out of melons <laughs> you, I desert. did say strange things <laughs> okay and anyway that's just for starters but uh there's something about okay. a hamburger you told me as well. What is oh, that oh, there was uh, they 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 serve a 25 kilogram hamburger every night. 25 kilograms at the Ninda Gully Who pub. Who on earth eats that? I think you share it. And you don't well, order a double. I would think so. No, no, definitely um, so not. So that's Queensland for you. But it also has a more serious side in the, both the Flying Doctor and Qantas started in Queensland. Oh, really? In fact, Qantas stands for Queensland and Northern Territory Aerial Services. I bet you didn't know no, that. I didn't know that. And it I've could learned be that million-dollar question that you, well, you know, that you uh, you need to tuck into one's memory bank and, and come out with. But anyway, it flew out of Longreach, Queensland in 1920 for the first time. And of course, today Qantas is, is you know, a global mm. airline of Australia. Gosh, so this sounds actually sounds like quite the place to go. I mean, it's not, it's not uh, people don't normally go there. 
Queensland is a very exotic um, But it sounds like it has a lot to offer. Absolutely. I think between the outback, the reef and the forest, tropical North Queensland especially is, is a fantastic destination. There's lots more to explore around there, though, but we don't have time right now. So yet again, unfortunately, would you mind coming back? Oh, I'd love to, Cara. Great. Well, we'll see you back. We're going to talk some more about the general area around where you were for this. And uh, we'll find out some more about that. Graham, thanks so much for joining me this evening. Thanks, Cara. I was chatting there with Graham Howe. He's a freelance travel writer who writes for the Intrepid Explorer Getaway, their blog, and Classic Wine. He attended the Australian Tourism Exchange 2014 in Cairns as a guest of Tourism Australia and Tourism and Events Queensland. And for more information, you can have a look at the website. It's australia.com and queensland.com. But also, Graham was mentioning about the whole new theme for this year was the food and wine. And they've also got a special website for that. And that's australia.com forward slash restaurant Australia. SAFM Current Affairs continue to look at the issues. We look at developing stories and stories not in the mainstream. By giving you an evening update on Weekend PM Live, Saturday and Sunday from 8 to 9 p.m. SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. Time to travel with Karen Key. Sarah Duff's back in studio with me this evening and she's a travel writer and a photographer and she always makes me turn very green with envy because she tends to go to these fabulous places and now she's recently went on a 10-day trip to Costa Rica with Contiki Cares. Sarah, good evening. Welcome back to the show. Thanks, Karen. Thanks for having me I back. have to ask you, Contiki Cares. People know about Contiki Tours. Contiki Cares, what's that? So Contiki Cares is the social responsibility arm of Contiki, and they give a lot to projects around the world, mostly conservation projects. And this trip to Costa Rica with a group of bloggers and photographers and singers and Instagrammers, all storytellers, was to go and see one of their projects in Costa Rica, which is um, the Sea Turtle Conservancy in um, Tortuguero National Park. And the idea was to bring all these storytellers together um, and have them go and see the, the conservancy and see the work they're doing and then tell the story of Costa Rica sea turtles um, because these sea turtles have been around since the time of the dinosaurs. They're one of the oldest creatures on Earth. Um, and in the last couple of decades, they're really uh, facing a lot of threats from um, pollution and also from poachers. So people are um, digging up the nest that they make on the beach and, and eating the eggs and selling the eggs. So what we did was um, actually work with the conservancy for two nights patrolling the beach and we watched some sea turtles lay their eggs and then all of us, um, so all the people on the, on the trip were from all around the world so we've all gone home and, and told the story and hopefully helped to raise some awareness um, of the plight of sea turtles. The one thing is you've written a fabulous blog about your trip there. I mean you did one section I think in DuffSuitcase.com which is one of your other sites people can go to. Your top 10 reasons for going to Costa Rica and one of them you said that Costa Rica really wears its green credentials on its sleeve. Yes, yeah. What I really loved about Costa Rica is that they are so eco-conscious. Um, they were one of the pioneers in eco-tourism in the 80s. And so they've been doing eco-tourism for a while. And because eco-tourism is such an important source of revenue for them, the government really sees how important it is to protect the environment. So about a third of the country is protected. About half of the country is covered in forests. Um, they are really into recycling, so you see recycling bins everywhere. They try and encourage people not to use water bottles, so there's water coolers in the hotels. And I've really never seen or been to a country that is just filled with people who seem to care so much about the environment. All the guides and locals we met were so enthusiastic about wildlife 
and uh, protecting their country's natural resources, and it was inspiring. It also means that you get to visit these incredibly beautiful forests. Bird life there is fantastic, and you see wildlife wherever you go. Um, we were at a roadside restaurant and we saw sloths in a tree. Um, so you just see animals everywhere. And I think uh, Costa Rica is a great destination for South Africans because most of us are really into nature and wildlife. Um, but the Central American wildlife is so different to our own. So it was seeing birds that I've never even heard of before and seeing creatures like sloths that, you know, you've only ever seen on TV. And you get to get really close to them. Oh, they're as cute as they look oh, on TV. Oh, they are so adorable. <laughs> and they move so slowly. We actually saw one crossing the path while we were walking to a beach one day, and which is apparently very rare because they, they chill up in the trees and they hardly ever come down. So they'll be up in a tree for a week um, without really moving. And we saw one crossing the path and it was just so slow. I've never <laughs> seen anything move so slowly before. I haven't seen some of the teenagers getting out of bed trying to go get themselves moving. <laughs> yeah. not, not as slow as that. I mean, no. they're not as slow as a sloth. Yeah, sloths are slower. <laughs> oh, gosh, that must be really slow. Uh, what I was looking for now in some of the notes I was, was going through on your um, on your blog was you said that if, as far as the wildlife is concerned, it has half a million species and it's home to 4% of the world's total species. I mean, yeah. Costa Rica is not a very big place. No, it's only point. Um, 3% of the world's land mass, but it's home to 4% of the world's plant and animal species. That's amazing. It's incredible. It's one of the most biodiverse countries in the world. So, um, yeah, as I was saying, pretty much wherever you go, you see wildlife and birds. Um, and for a very small country, it's got such a range of different habitats. So you get the volcanic highlands, um, and there's a lot of active volcanoes in, in Costa Rica. And the most famous one is Arenal. It's actually not active anymore. It hasn't it hasn't erupted for a couple of years. But around the volcano are all these hot springs. So you go to these hot spring resorts. We went to one, one evening and spent the whole evening drinking pina coladas in really warm hot springs. They're warmer than a bath. And then you get ra- tropical, humid rainforests, which are obviously very hot and sticky. And we went uh, boat cruising through one of them, which felt very Amazonian. I haven't been to the Amazon, but it's what I picture the Amazon looking like. So it's kind of brown rivers and canals and then huge trees. And you cruise through there and you see caimans and birds and sloths and monkeys. Um, and then you also get these cloud forests, which are probably my favorite part of Costa Rica. So they're high, quite high um, altitude forests and quite cool and often covered in clouds and mist. So that's where they get their name from. And we went ziplining through one of those, which was terrifying. <laughs> It was incredible. You zip line, there was a kilometer, the longest zip line was a kilometer long. And you just speed down. And as you look down, you see this huge expanse of cloud. All you can see is trees underneath you. And it's the closest that you can get to feeling like a bird. For people who aren't too au fait with where it is, tell people where Costa Rica is. So it's in Central America. It's above Panama. If you know where Mexico is, it's close to Mexico. So it's south of Mexico. And it's on the strip of land. So it's got the Pacific on the west coast and the Caribbean on the east coast. And um, we we went to both sides. So it was great to see both sides of the country. And it's quite a small, it's almost not an island, but it's a small Yeah, it feels area. like an island. We like actually kept island. on calling it an island because it feels, mm. everyone's very laid back. There's a kind of island vibe to it. It's very tropical. Um, and because you've got sea on both sides, it sort of feels like an island. And on the Contiki trip, we were in a bus, which um, was the color of a tropical cocktail, which I just loved. Everything's <laughs> kind of just, I don't know, just tropical and holiday-ish there. And um, so on uh, 
the 10-day trip, we traveled all around the country. So we did kind of a circular loop, um, taking in the volcanoes and the cloud forests and the rainforests and the beaches on both sides. Now, you, you listed your 10 top reasons. And your first reason that you have, if people look at your blog, your first reason was the happiness. Yes. You say it's the happiest country. Yeah, Costa Rica has been ranked one of the happiest countries in the world. And... From the moment that you step off the plane, it's pretty apparent there's a huge sign that says, welcome to the happiest country in the world. <laughs> you kind of get the message. <laughs> An right advert there. for some rum. And the motto there is pura vida, which means the good life or the pure life. And that's what people say all the time. So if you say to someone, how are you? They'll often say pura vida, which just means I'm living the good life. And I just love the way Costa Ricans live. Their, their emphasis is on family, friends, having a good time, protecting the environment. And they just seem to be the most happy-go-lucky, stress-free people I've ever met. And super friendly and very. it's a very safe country to visit. I know some people think about Central America and think of kind of rebels and civil wars and unstable governments. But Costa Rica has been one of the most stable countries in the region for years. They actually disbanded their army in the 1950s. So they haven't even had an army for five days. Decades, which is pretty amazing. And they have a University of Peace there. University of Peace? Yeah. That's rather nice. Yeah, it is. I feel like the rest of the world has a lot to learn from Costa Rica. Oh. So Do you have a lot of international people living there now? I mean, a lot of expats living in Costa Rica? Yeah, really? yeah there are a lot of expats. There are a lot of Americans. Um, obviously, it's quite close um, for Americans. And... There's a lot of yoga retreats and kind of hippie-ish places like Sounds that. Sounds like so the place that yeah. that could go down really well. Yeah, so it attracts people from around the world with that kind of um, you know lifestyle. And yeah, I mean, if I had to live somewhere, Costa Rica would definitely be high up on my list. <laughs> One of the it's other great. things you mentioned in your blog was how um, how they enjoy surfing. Yes. That seems to be quite a big pastime there too. Yeah, surfing's pretty big in Costa Rica. Um, we didn't actually get a chance to surf on this trip, um, but the waves look pretty good and there's good surf on both sides of the coast and there's good surf pretty pretty much year-round. Um, so whatever time of year you go, you can find somewhere where you'll be able to surf. And getting there from South Africa, how easy is that? Yeah, not so easy. Mm. Um, that's the only thing. So that's the only downside is um, my journey there was 40 hours. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, and my journey back was 30 hours. So it was pretty long. Um, so you fly from Cape Town, you fly to Joburg. Um, Joburg, you fly to Sao Paulo in Brazil. And from there, I flew to Colombia and then to San Jose in Costa Rica. You can also go via Europe or via America, but there's pretty much no easy way of getting there. And the flight is pretty expensive, but it's definitely worth the journey. And it's so different to Africa. You know, if you spend a lot of time in the bush in, in southern Africa and you love wildlife, Costa Rica is such a great destination because it will be completely different to anything you've ever seen before. So by the sounds of the traveling arrangements, it almost sounds like if you're kind of in the area. You know, if you're in sort of somewhere in South America, if you've gone to yeah. Mexico, I've got a yeah. friend who just loves going to Mexico. So if because her son's living there now. So if she if she's in Mexico, it would obviously be easier for her to get there. Yes. If you somewhere in the States, it might be easier yeah. to get down to Costa Rica. So if yeah. you're kind of in the area, it makes more sense to go somewhere and then pop along to Costa Rica. Exactly. It might be better for your traveling experience yeah. than the 40 hours because, oh, no. Incredibly long <laughs> to get there. Wow. Okay. And talk a little bit about Contiki Cares. Do they take? I mean, you were all a lot of bloggers and storytellers, and do they do trips like this for the general public? Yes. So Contiki Cares is the social responsibility arm of of Contiki, but Contiki runs a Costa Rica Unplugged trip, which is a twelve day trip to Costa Rica. And all of the details are up on their website. And the trip includes accommodation, transport, activities, guides, and everything. So what's really nice about it is that 
they meet you as you get off the plane and you don't have to worry about anything after that. Um, and what was really awesome about this trip is having people from around the world on the trip and made friends for life, um, you know, people that I'm planning to meet up with now when I go go travel in the States. And that's the same for any Kentucky trip, is the idea is that you're traveling with people from all over the place that you end up making friends with. And we had such a jaw, and we played our music on the bus, and we danced, and we went out jawling together, and... You know, just it, like endless laughter, endless jokes, um, so much fun. It's for 18 to 35s. So I was actually upper upper end of the age bracket this time on this trip. I'm usually one of the younger ones, so it was interesting for me. So the older generation, like <clears throat> certain people, um, it's a little bit past us now. So if you're wanting to do the Kentucky tours or to do the, the Costa Rica tours, you'd have to find somewhere else to go. So if you're 18 to 35, and you, because that's when most people are traveling now, the youngsters yeah. are traveling. Yeah. So if you're wanting to go, enjoy yourself and somewhere different. Yes. You know, go pop along to Costa Rica. It sounds absolutely amazing. Yeah, it's fantastic. You're highlight i mean it was the even one i mean they, they couldn't there must have been more than one oh it was it's quite hard um i loved canyoneering which was we call it cloofing here where we went down through a rainforest rainforested gorge so you abseil down and then is that jump that into picture rockles. on your blog that looks like it, the side of a mountain with lots of bushes on it and i can just see some ropes hanging down is was that was that that's zip lining Oh. Which is, yeah, so canyoneering is kind of climbing down through this gorge and you jump into into rock pools and you swim a little bit and you climb down and you abseil. Mm. That was a lot of fun. I love that. And then zip lining. Um, you know, we have zip lining canopy tours in Tsukana. Yeah, I thought, I thought it goes across something. This looked yeah. like it went down something, down the side of a... Oh, maybe that was the canyoneering thing. And it thing. was yeah. just a very steep mountain-looking thing, piece of mountain with lots of bushes on it. And there were some rope things hanging down. And oh, I thought, yes, that... That was that the looks a little scary to me. <laughs> Is that the canyoneering? Yeah. Oh right, so it was that. Okay. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Well, um, she survived. She's right here. I survived, and there were a couple of people on the trip who were afraid of heights, and they did it, and you know they screamed the whole way down, and <laughs> <laughs> like me screaming on the zip lining thing, but it was so much fun, and um, yeah, I mean I love a little bit of adrenaline, so you know get the blood flowing and have a beer afterwards <laughs> to celebrate living through it. Yeah, Sarah, it sounds fabulous. And as you said, you're going off now. And uh, hopefully we can keep track of you while you're traveling. Yes, because yeah. Because I'm sure we're going to be able to. Where exactly are you going? I'm going to the U.S. first for three months and then Argentina for three months and then traveling around South America for a while and then traveling around Central America and hopefully spending quite a while in Costa Rica. You can stay there for three months without a visa and I might make use of that. Um, and then I'm ending up in Europe tough life some people have. Sounds amazing. Sarah, thank you very much for joining us on the show this evening and have a fabulous time on your trip around the world and hopefully we can catch up with you while you're doing that. Thanks, Karen. I was chatting there with Sarah Duff and she's a travel writer and photographer who now, as you heard, is going off to explore the world for a year. If you'd like to follow her to find out what she's up to and read all about her amazing adventures, there are two websites you can go to. The one is sarahduff.com and the other one is Duff's Suitcase. Dot com. And if you'd like to find out more about the Contiki Tours, their website is contiki.com. Time to travel with Karen Key. I'm joined on the line this evening behind Trutta, and he's the MD of Live the Journey in Namibia. And they've got a fabulous tour coming up. It's called Explore Jordan. And I thought Hein would be the perfect person to speak to about this because he's actually lived in Jordan for over seven years. Hein, good evening. Welcome to the show. Good evening, Karen. How are you doing? I'm v we're very well, but tell us a little bit about Jordan. It's not one of those places that South Africans tend to go to a lot. It's one of those places we all know about, but it's not exactly our first choice of destination. And yet, when reading what your itinerary looks like, we should all be on the next plane. 
You know, Karen Jordan is one of those gems that's been hidden away from uh, from the Western world, I guess, for such a long time. It is in a slightly bad neighborhood, so to speak, but the country itself, it's, it has so many amazing things to offer. Publicly and historically, it's got a, a vast, vast number of interesting places to see and, and experiences to, to have. So I would say it is one of the places that you have to go and see. Definite bucket, definite, uh, bucket list. Where did you live when you were in Jordan for those seven years? I lived mostly in Amman, which is the capital, but I was also fortunate enough to live down in Aqaba, which is on the Red Sea. Uh, and that was back in 2006 when it was still a small town. It, it's developed quite a lot since then. But of course, that meant uh, diving in the Red Sea regularly, visiting Wadi Rum, which is uh, an amazing desert uh, attraction. So tell us a little bit about this tour. It's um, leaving on the 3rd of November. It goes from the 3rd to the 12th of November. It's, it's eight days, seven nights, and you're taking a maximum of 14 people on this trip. But it sounds like the most wonderful itinerary. Tell me a little bit about that. And also you have a tour leader, Dave Pepler. Tell me about him and also about the, the actual itinerary. Where are you going to be going? Well, let's start with Dave. I mean, we can't start this discussion without mentioning the tour leader. Dave is obviously uh, one of South Africa's most uh, foremost uh, natural historians. People who watch CakeNet regularly will recognize him from Groen and, and Groen Race, of course, that he also visits uh, other lived journey destinations. And he's a regular face on TV and on radio. Dave is definitely one of the most sought-after tour leaders when it comes to uh, historical places such as Jordan. So uh, we're very glad that Dave agreed to go with us on this tour. The tour starts in Amman. You will fly in uh, via some other Middle Eastern destination. And then you will uh, arrive early morning in Amman. You will be met by a tour leader. And then off you go to a five-star hotel, the Kapinski Hotel. You will stay there for a five-day duration during the whole trip. And what the tour wants to, or what the tour tries to do is to, to show you as, as much as possible. I mean, I, as I said, I lived there for seven years. But, you know, you could spend three weeks in, uh, in Jordan and still have places to see and still have experiences to have. So we try to, to give you the, uh, a broad overview of what the country has to offer. On your second day, for instance, you will go to the citadel, which is in Amman. It's a huge old uh, structure that is set on a sort of mountain hill, uh, a hilltop. Now, Amman is a city of hilltops. So you will see when you go there, it's, it's very up and down. Then you will have some time to go and see the archaeological museum, where you can see artifacts up to 6,000 years old. Uh, so that's just in your first two days. You, you will have a, a traditional dinner at Diwan Zaman. The next day you will f- go right into it and start experiencing the, uh, the history. My favorite day is that one because I'm very into archaeological things and old things and history. And I noticed that even as you can actually see some examples of the Dead Sea Scrolls there at the museum. Exactly, exactly. And that's one of the few places in the world where you can actually see that. It is it's very special. Um, and the museum is downtown, which is also in itself just an experience. It is old downtown Amman. People live their daily lives, not the way, no, not necessarily that me and you live it. So you get to experience that as well. And then the, after that, after that, that would be my favorite day so far. We're off to the Dead Sea. And that is also something that I think if you haven't experienced it, it's something you really need to go and do once in your lifetime. The Dead Sea has got so much to offer. Number one, it's the lowest point on the planet. That, that in itself is significant. Then the fact that you can actually walk into water and drift, read your newspaper. What an amazing feeling. Uh, you can use the mud over there to, to rejuvenate your skin. It is just such a wonderful experience. I mean, words can't, can't describe it. Photos can't, can't tell you. you know, it's just a bizarre experience. And after the, uh, the Dead Sea experience, then you will head north to uh, Umkais, which in Arabic means the mother of Kais. Umkais is uh, close to the 
Syrian border, and from there you can actually have a view over the Golan Heights and, and, and possibly the Sea of Galilea. That's if it is a clear day. It is a quite a distance away, but what a beautiful sight. There's also lots of archaeological digs and things going on around there as well, so there lots is, of ancient sites. Definitely, uh, Adam Case as well. But then on the first day you will, you will see Jerash, which is uh, one of the best-preserved Roman cities in the world. It is an amazing structure. It is huge, and, and it basically... It has roads that lead to the sort of four corners of the world, so to speak, if you are in there. And this will be a guided tour in Jiras because it, there's so many uh, small details there that you have to be, you know, be, be, be told to, to actually appreciate the, the greatness of the place. Uh, after Jiras, you will also visit uh, Ajlun. Ajlun is a 12th century uh, Saracen castle. It is uh, one of my favorite spots. And then, of course, in the evening, there will be a, a dinner at the, the Rand restaurant, which is a mixture of Turkish and Arabic food, food-wise, the Middle East has got so much to offer. I mean, a lot of the stuff that we eat daily here uh, comes from the, the sort of Ottoman period down into what's pushed into the Arabic uh, and the Middle Eastern areas. And then from there down south, you know, hummus and your, your tabel, your uh, I just can't, the list just goes on and on and on. So food-wise, this is going to be a culinary experience as well and not just a, uh, a visual experience. The interesting thing for me about Jerash is the fact that it's the best preserved city of Roman times and there's all sorts of theatres and temples and churches and colonnaded streets. I mean, I would just be in my element. You'd have to drag me out of there. I probably went to Jerash once a year, if not more. And that wasn't, you know, to take family and friends. That was just for my own interest. You know. For me, uh, for me, this is uh, where, where the, where the build-up really starts. From, from here, day six, you head down a little bit south to Maraba. Maraba is an old Christian town. It's uh, on Mount Nebo. It has, yet again, uh, a handful of interesting things to see. Mount Nebo, well known for uh, the alleged burial site of Moses. Uh, when you stand on Mount Nebo, you have a look down over the, the Dead Sea, and where they then see the Promised Land on the other side. You also get to see the oldest map of the Holy Land, which is in one of the uh, monasteries up there. Real-life people still live there. This is the way they live today, as they have lived you know, thousands of years ago. So I was just looking at some of the things on this itinerary. I mean, it, it's just, I mean, Petra is another one. I mean, that, that's something I think most of us have heard of Petra. You know, from Mount, Mount Nebo, Madaba, you make your way down. You go past a, a town called Karak where you see the Karak Castle. And then on day seven, you actually get to see Petra. Now, most of us, at least my age and older, who've seen all the uh, Indiana Jones movies will remember Petra. It is an magnificent site. It is just uh, unbelievable what the Nabataeans did there centuries ago, how they carved a whole city out of stone. And then, of course, the, the bizarre fact is it was hidden for, for so many years. It was found again and then hidden again or lost again. Just so much history in that place. And, and the, the engineering marvels, you know, how they managed to, to bring water down from nowhere into the city. Uh, unbelievable. For, for, for anybody who has a sense of attention to detail, this is a must to see. It's one of those places that it's literally every time you go around the corner, there's something new or something historical or there's an archaeological thing. I mean, you can literally not go around a corner, as I said, and without seeing something. You can do Petra in one day. It's a long walk, and, and, and it's, you know, if you want to do the whole thing in one day, and, and you're going to miss a lot. But, you know, if you go with the guide that can point out all of these wonderful things. You just the, the amount of information you will pick up is unbelievable. I personally, again, the same with Jurassic. I've been to Petra, I can't even count how many times, you know, and I've been to the same, into the same, I almost want to say, into the same buildings carved out and, and, and seen something new inside. 
Uh, it is a long day. I, I do I do advise people to make sure they take ample water, take their sunscreen, make sure you have proper walking shoes, you know, comfortable clothes, because it is uh, it is going to be a, a long day of, of exploration. Talking about all that walking you're doing, as you say, going in November, what is the weather like then? Is it very hot at that time of year? We, we're in between seasons in November, so you just, uh, right now it is extremely warm, um, and then it will gradually turn into, you know, into winter, But uh, so we're talking sort of autumn time, wonderful time to go there, because you have, even in the desert, you, you don't have the, the weather too hot. Uh, Amman has got quite a, quite a good climate, but as soon as you go down south to where Petra is, and then of course to the next day where we're going to go to Wadi Rum, it can get extremely warm in summer. So, so September, November, really good times to go. Well, you mentioned the next day off to Wadi Rum. Tell us about that. Wadi Rum is a, is a bizarre uh, scene. It is a desert, and it is a flat desert, but then you have thousands of, of rocky hills scattered in between it. Again, those of you who remember, you know, Lawrence of Arabia, that's where he lived. You can actually see his, or one of the places where he stayed. And that's also where the film was, laid, was later made in, or shot, it was in, in the, the Wadi Rum Desert. What we often hear is, uh, is a one and a half, two hour uh, Bedouin jeep ride. We actually get onto a 4x4 with the Bedouins, the, Bedouins, the local people, nomadic people, and you get to experience the desert with them. And then after that, uh, there's also a lunch, traditional lunch, with, uh, with the Bedouin people. Again, food-wise, rich, 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 unbelievable what they will uh, present to you. You can you, Actually, on that particular day, you can also do a cooking class. There is a cooking class. That's at uh, Beit Sisi. That's, um, of course, you know, uh, people go to the shop and they buy a can of hummus and they think that they're eating authentic food. Mm. You know, it's so easy to make. It's just a question of... Of, of getting the right person to show you, you know, how to make it properly. So definitely also another highlight on the tour for those food fundies. Um, to make Arabic food is a wonderful experience. To make Middle Eastern sort of your Turkish food, it is wonderful. You know, it's, it's rich. As I said, it's already filtered down into our, into our dishes already. It's just to actually put the two together. Right. So we've now hopefully, you know, tantalized people into wanting to go off there. But now we need to get down to some of the basic things. We're talking, what about visas? What, what is the situation with visas there? Right, visas uh, for South Africans at the moment is still free, and that will be if applied for uh, beforehand in a group, uh, it wouldn't be an issue at all. So we don't need to go and get any visas or anything before we go. What about health requirements? Do we need any vaccinations? Vaccinations, um, it's not required, but as always, you know, it is good to have your yellow fever certificate uh, in hand. They've never asked me in the seven years I've lived there for it, but, you know, it is it is something on the list, so I would say make sure you have that. And, you know... As an avid traveller, you know you all, you always have to have this handy, no matter where you go. Jordan is in a uh, unsafe neighbourhood, so to speak, but the country itself is stable. It's a secular country. It is uh, it's a country that uh, take other people's rights into consideration. The people live next to each other, Christian, Muslim, even even uh, Jewish. You know, it is not a uh, it's not a violent country. I would say it's probably the safest place I have ever lived in my life. I was chatting there with Hein Trutter, and he's the MD of Live the Journey in Namibia. And as I said earlier, if you'd like to find out more, take a look at the website, livethejourney.co.za, or call them on 021-912-1400. And that's it for Time to Travel for this week. I'm Karen Key. Thanks for joining me this evening. And just a reminder that if you need any information about something you've heard on the show this evening, you can find it on Facebook. Just go to Travel on SAFM. Or you can email me on travel at SAFM. And I'll be back with you again next Monday evening with the Law Report, so join me then. But right now, it's time for some nighttime music with Stephen Coker.